it's been about three months since we were last here. It's a long time. It was a blessing to be here and to worship with you. I was thinking, I've thought of this many times, I guess, the thing of Jesus said it, that my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I pondered on that. Why, why a house of prayer? And I, I've come to the understanding that the word of prayer is worship. My house shall be called a house of worship. And that's rightly so. We come this morning, we gather together to worship the Lord. Well, I greet you in Jesus' name this morning. I'm trembling. It's been a while since I've had an opportunity to stand in front of a crowd and share something. I'd like to open our minds a little bit this morning with thought. Jesus said the words, I beheld Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And he was there. On a personal level between God and the devil, was there ever a challenge to the power of God, to the reigning power of God? Was Satan ever a challenge that he might take the reins from God? You think? You think there was a wrestling match? You think that God had to physically engaged with Satan and wrestled on the floor and he got him over to the door of heaven and he rolled him out and Jesus saw him fall finally. No. It was with a word. The word of God is pregnant with power. It's pregnant with power. He says it and it's so. That's amazing to me. There was no competition, strength to strength. No competition. That God was never in a in a. There was never a chance that the enemy, Satan, was going to overpower God, and that's the God that we serve today. And that's that's what I want to. That's what I want to just open our hearts to this morning. There was no competition. Satan was no competition, strength to strength. So that's, that's the God that we serve this morning. And I, I marvel. We sang this song that God dwells in the heavens, and yet he dwells in this heart of clay, in this, in this body of clay. And that's an amazing thing. I can't wrap my mind around that. Anyway, that's not really my message. Just wanted to open our minds to that thought. And we serve a sovereign God. He is in complete control, absolute control. Regardless of what we see, whether we're in the last generation or whether it goes another 50 or 100 generations, regardless of what we see and how shaken things become, we serve a God that is in absolute control. There's nothing that is out of his control. I trust, like I shared with Kervin yesterday, we're visiting a little bit, I said, I you know, it's not an alternative to receive the mark of the beast. There's no alternative to that. We may not do that. And so when the time comes, if we face that, somehow God will give us the grace to not do that, to, to die for our faith if that's what we must do. God will surely give us the grace to do that. Yeah. Anyway, I, I guess the, the, 
the burden of my message this morning, it's, we've been through some tough church experiences, and those things can almost derail you. Many of you know that. And there's something that I want to pull out of the scriptures, and we'll look at it in Mark chapter 12. And I'm just going to pull the principle out of here. I'm not going to, this isn't really part of, part of the message, but just the principle is what I want to pull out of this. Mark 12, verse 41, he says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make him a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow has cast, it, cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. I want to take that principle and apply it to the Christian life. I'm going to give you a contrast this morning. If we go to 1 Samuel, we have a 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I'm just going to pick through there just for the sake of time. And Samuel commands, well, God commands Samuel to command Saul, King Saul. And he says, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both men and women, infant and suckling, oxen and sheep, camel and ass. But Saul and the people... He comes back from this slaughter, and Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and oxen and fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile refused, that they destroyed utterly. And Samuel comes to Saul. Saul says to him, Blessed be thou the Lord. I, I marveled at that so often. He was in the wrong. He knew he didn't obey. And yet he comes with this, this spiritual-sounding uh, a title. He says, Blessed be thou the Lord, he says to this man of God. You would think he would have shriveled a little bit. Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So did God accept his sacrifice? Was sacrifice a commandment? It was a commandment. Eli's two sons offered a sacrifice of strange fire. It wasn't according to commandment. And God judged them. So sacrifice was, was demanded. However, when God gives a commandment and we do sacrifice instead of obedience, judgment comes. It may not come in this earth, but it will come. I just, I, the, the thing there of, of uh, Eli's sons, they offered strange fire before the Lord. And it was, bam, judgment. They carried them out, wrapped up in their cloaks, I think it says. 
It must be according to commandment. I have another story I want to share. There's a number of families in our, in our area there from different church groups, different denominations, and they wanted to do something in, in the community as a blessing. And uh, they got their heads together and they decided they were going to put on a play. And there's too many families sitting here from home. I'm a little uncomfortable to share that here. I didn't think of that when I first thought of this. But um, So they got their heads together and they found this play that really honored the Lord they felt. And they put this together. And in this play, I, from what I saw, some previews that they had sent around on our phones. Uh, it looked about like an 1800s-era ball gown type of thing that the girls wore and they took their veilings off and let their hair down and done them up in tresses, these beautiful flowing curls, curlers, hair. And uh, they did this play, some great redemption story, I understand, but uh, I guess I felt like that was a sacrifice that God did not accept. It was not according to commandment. And if we break God's commandment to do sacrifice, I'm sorry. There's judgment for that kind of thing. It perverts the word of God. So that's that's my cry this morning. Are we where are we with where are we with God? Are we we like that widow we throw everything in and say, God, whatever it takes, I'm going to get there. Not not on my own strength, by the grace of God. However, I have a responsibility. When the squeezing, when it really gets tight, there's times when I cry out for mercy. I say, Lord, have mercy. I can't take much more of this. I can't see light. But God has mercy. He's able to sustain one. He's able. He knows that we're but dust. He remembers that. How much time do I have here? I didn't pay attention when I come up. In James, it talks about the trying of our faith. And I think it's maybe in Peter where it talks about that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold. And I thought about that. What are you talking about? That when I'm really getting squeezed, that's when something, that's when it's precious to God. But that word... That word, I'm going to back up a little bit. Jesus was driven of the Spirit into the desert. And I've been in some deserts in my life spiritually. I don't know. I expect you can identify with that. You get into a desert place, it's not much there. It's dry. It's barren. There's not a whole lot of life. But Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I guess I, I, I marvel at that. Brother Dale Heisey had shared some of that at the last leadership seminar. And I think every one of us can identify with that. So we're, he's, he's driven of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And that word tempted, I, you know, it says in James that God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he. God doesn't tempt any man. But we are tempted when we're drawn away of our own lusts in our flesh type of thing. So this word tempted, I dug it up and looked it up. And to be tempted of the devil, it says to test or to prove. 
God uses the enemy. Think of Job in that instance. God, God allowed Satan. Satan comes and he's, God says to Satan, you see Job over there? He's an upright man. He's used evil. And, and Satan says, well, there's, there's, there's a reason. I mean, you've got a hedge around him. I can't get to him. And God says, all right, I'll, I'll take that away and you can have at him. But don't take his life. I think there's times when, when we can identify with Job. It feels like Satan is pressing and sore. Life doesn't make any sense. I, I can think Job was sitting there scraping his boils with a piece of glass, and life didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense. Where are we? What am I doing? Why am I here? What brought me to this place? And I, I just go back to that. You know, we're all children. Once we're born again... God has a purpose, and that purpose is to, is to uh, how does he say, is it in Hebrews, uh, to be conformed into the image of his son. And so he takes this pile of clay that was so steeped in sin and lost, and he's got a tremendous work to do with that, to, to, to shape it into the image of Christ, to make it look like Christ. says in Romans 8, for whom he did foreknow, he did he also did predestinate to be conformed. And that word conformed is to be jointly formed. And Siamese twins are jointly formed. And oftentimes they're joined at the head and the shoulder. And there is no deviating. They can't go their separate ways. And that's the idea there of being jointly formed with Christ. It's, it's, it becomes something that is one. You, God isn't out there, and I'm over here struggling through life. No, Jesus Christ is right here in it. His whole goal is to conform us into the image of his Son so that Christ is seen, so that God is glorified, so that Lee Layman becomes less Lee Layman. I must decrease. I must decrease, but he must increase. And that's the whole idea of leaving us here after salvation is to do that work so that God is glorified. Yeah, the church, in my, my small estimation, is that the church has become essential. We want to serve God, but we want to do it on our terms. I think that falls in the line of sacrifice. We, we want to serve God. We can shout hallelujah and praise the Lord, but there ain't a whole lot that is kept as far as according to commandments go. So we're looking at a contrast of someone that casts in their all, everything. I am sold out for the kingdom of God. I'm going to allow God to, to run me through the ringer so that when I come out, I don't look like the person I did before I went in. I come out looking like Christ. I come out with those branches that weren't bearing fruit or trimmed off, the ones that were bearing bad stuff is trimmed off and so what's left is a tree that is like an apple tree that's pruned down and it's 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 bursting out with apples and it's heavy with fruit that's god's idea that's that's his purpose for us to be conformed so if the church and and i i find this in my own life at times i don't say that lightly essential Uh, to me, that speaks of something that's conformed to this world. We're commanded not to be conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and we're, to be, we're to be conformed into the image of Christ. So conformed is in the New Testament two times. The one time is to be conformed into the image of Christ, and the next time is to not be conformed to the world. So that's quite a contrast. We're looking at a contrast. When we contrast like that, it brings a little more understanding. I have a little something here that someone wrote that touched my heart when I first read it. I'll read it to you. The title is, Do I Look Like You? Mama, it's 6.30 a.m. My little daughter's calling from upstairs. I smile because I know immediately what she wants. I smile because she is my daughter. I love my daughter. I'm busy with breakfast preparations, but not too busy. I go to the upstairs door and look up. There she is, just as I expected. A sight I don't get tired of seeing. All I can see is a nose, two hazel-colored eyes, and a pile of tussled brown, dark brown hair. She's peering at me over the banister. She stands on tippy-toes. I know, because once the question is answered, I will see only tussled hair anymore. She turns to go. To her, this moment of the day is very important. What dress do you have on today? The important question. Her eyes shine, and she sees it's the pink one with roses, her favorite. I can't help it. I just have to hear her say it again. I want to hear her little voice say it, so I ask, Why do you want to know? Without hesitation comes her answer, Because I want to look like you. I want to match. I still can't see a mouth above the banister, but I don't need to. Her whole face is smiling. I am too. And then she's gone. She's on a mission. She's getting a dress to match Mama's. In a little while, I know I'll hear little footsteps pattering down the stairs, and then she'll come to me to show her to show her dress and hold it next to mine to see how well it matches. We will smile together and agree that we do match very well. She does look like me, and then she will skip off to the bathroom to change. My heart is warm and full and yet challenged. I love my daughter. I love that she wants to look like me. I breathe a prayer of thankfulness to my father. I thank him for my daughter. I thank him for this beautiful moment, this routine happening, this matching with my daughter. I wonder, does God like to match? Oh, yes, he does. I want to match him. I'm his daughter. He loves me. He likes when I look like him. I want to look like him. Oh, Lord, clothe me in your peace, your love, your kindness. Fill me with your spirit. I want to look like you, Lord. I want to match. When we go places, people often remark, Oh, you match your mommy. You look just like her. It makes my daughter smile as we squeeze hands. Do people see that in me? Do they see that I look like my father? Some mornings I see those eyes above the banister change into frowning eyes. I don't have a dress like that, Mama, she'll say. It displeases her. She goes to her closet and finds a dress that looks closest, like Mama's dress. I almost match, she says. There are times that I don't match my father. I have failed. It saddens me. I want to look like my father. I want his attributes to show in everything I do. I want to... I want to match with Jesus. I go to my closet and repent. I want to be clothed with your righteousness, Lord. Cleanse me, God. Make me pure and holy once again, just like you. I thank him for this reminder from my daughter. I, too, am a daughter. My father loves me. I want to look like him. Thank you, Lord, for making it possible. That is the calling that God has on his children. I had to think of to our families, to the world around us, to our wives, wives to our husbands. You know, if we take and hold a mirror up to ourselves, 
in the sense of lining it up over here and holding it up and I look into the mirror over here it's like it's like it's in first or in John the book of John talks about Jesus when he came he was the image express image of the father if you've seen Jesus you've seen the father you, you know what the father is all about and I think since Christ is going back that's that's the call that's been put on us when they look when others look into our mirror, the reflection that they see of us needs to be a reflection of Christ. So anyway, I, I guess my, my burden is just a thing of... <coughs> Mark Miller had a message at the Bible school down here some years back, and he had a sponge. You remember that? He was squeezing that sponge, and he's talking about when the Lord is doing that with your life. That you allow him to do that. That you're like that widow. You, you've cast in everything and you have to... Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross daily. And I, I, when life is hard, when things like that are pressing in and you can't see beyond today, <laughs> it's a daily battle to get up and say, Lord, I, I, unless I'm a beggar, I'm back again. I need grace. I need it. I can't get through the day without it. I've got to have it. One of the things I think I'll share yet quickly is just uh, after we had left the last congregation we were in, I was not in a good way and focusing so hard on what was wrong and why and where I am, where it is today. I, I lost sight of reality. I struggled, and I struggled, and finally somewhere through this, this, I guess the Spirit of the Lord broke through the cloud, and the Bible verse about a single eye came to my attention, and I, I had to look at that, and I realized, oh, that's my problem. We're always going to have those things over here, but if our eyes single and fixed on Jesus Christ, there, these lights, there's lights hanging down the side here. If I'm focusing on that light up there in the balcony, I see these lights, but I'm not focused on them. I know that there, there's problems, there's these things that's coming in, but I'm focusing on Jesus Christ. But when I get off of that and I start looking at this problem and that problem, I say, what's going to happen? Well, I'm a train wreck waiting to happen. It's just going to happen. We've got to get back to that single eye. Focus on Jesus Christ. Anyway. The Lord's going to return someday. Let's be doing that. Yes. Jesus.